Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Bowie, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering. What a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome to the Maximum Mom Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I'm welcoming Carmen Rosas. Now, did I pronounce your last name properly? Yeah, it's Rosas. <laughs> you have too many S's and I have too many vowels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes it hard when you, you just never know. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us today. I cannot tell you how excited I am to get started to talk to you. Carmen is a mom, attorney, author of the QBIC, Queen Bee in Charge. Is yes. that correct? Yes. 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 <laughs> Queen Bee in Charge's Guide to Creating a Legacy, host of Raising Queens podcast and the founder of Empower Her Yourself, a transformational movement that empowers women to create legacies for themselves on their terms. Her approach is practical and intuitive, using financial wisdom and spiritual practices to guide women to take control of their finances and emotional wellness and build a sustainable future. Carmen's work has been seen on Forbes, HuffPost, Modern Latina, and more. She has also led international retreats, workshops, motivational talks, and she also spoke at Stanford University. Her podcast, Raising Queens, is an honest, ongoing conversation for women of all ages who are ready to rise up and reclaim their power. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And actually, we just did a relaunch and rebrand of our podcast. So it's no longer Raising Queens, but it's Her Legacy Now. Same idea, but really focusing on legacy and the impact we're all making in the world. So, but thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's amazing. I can't wait to talk about that because I think it is such an important conversation when we talk about women and what are we doing insofar as that legacy is concerned, because a lot of times we're not thinking about that, but no. we're going to have to back up a little bit. Tell us first, who makes you a mom? Who's at home with you? What does that look like for yeah, you? So I have my daughter, Jacqueline, who's eight, and I have a stepson, Mateo, who is eight as well. They're about eight months apart. So when we're out and about, we're like, oh, they're twins. It just makes life that much easier. <laughs> so we have twins at home. And then we actually have brother, sister, twin puppies. I say puppies because they're almost a year old, but they're 70 pound German short hair pointer chocolate lab mix dogs. So they're almost as big as the kids. And then my partner, Zach and I, um, so we have, you know, there's like a, a group of six of us, <laughs> never a dull moment at all. Yeah. Clearly, never a dull moment. Like, I can't even imagine. Well, I want to talk to you first a little bit about motherhood and your role. I mean, I know you were like the first in your family, if I'm not mistaken, to graduate from college and then go on to law school. And tell us a little bit about your journey in that regard and how motherhood might have propelled you. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, so I was the first in my family to go to college. I'm the only attorney in my family. So definitely, you know, paving the path. And my brother and cousin actually ended up going to the same university I did a few, you know, a year or two after they followed kind of in my footsteps, which was great. And 
So when I passed the bar and I was in at the time, I was in a really crappy relationship, obviously not with my partner now, um, but with my daughter's father. And I was like, I'm never having kids. I'm going to just work. I'm going to have my practice and I'm going to just, you know, travel the world and do whatever I want. I was coming up to my 30th birthday and I said, God, the universe, whatever is out there, please give me a sign. And, you know, turned 30, was going about my business. And six months later, I found out I was pregnant and I was like, wait, pause. This was not the plan, but I had to have a moment of there's a plan that is bigger than I could have ever imagined. And I, for me, my daughter, and I say it all the time, right? It's in my book. And I say, you know, she was my lifesaver in more ways than one because I said, okay, I never planned to have kids, but here we are. And we're going to bring this little human into this world. I don't know what it looks like. I, you know, I, I'm not ready. Are we ever ready? I was only about maybe two years into building my law practice. And I was like, I'm, you know, head down, doing everything, wearing all the hats. And I was like, I can't become a mom. So we said, okay, we're stepping into this new role. And then I started thinking, right? So I do estate planning. So we're focused on legacy and, you know, quote unquote, preparing for death. And I said, and they asked me for, do you have an advanced healthcare directive? Of course I do, because I'm, a, you know, I, I practice what I preach and I give them my advanced healthcare directive. And then I start thinking, oh my gosh, if I die, what will happen? And what will people tell my daughter about me? Like, what will they say? And so I started going deeper, right? And I was thinking about, well, I'm bringing this human into this world. Who am I supposed to be? And I had all of the, oh, you're having a kid. Your life is over. This is the end of it. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is not the end of all of these goals and plans that I had. And so I went on a deep spiritual and personal development journey and was like, okay, if I happen to die while giving birth, fine. But what am I creating? How am I showing up in this world so that my daughter, you know, whatever, you know, happens, will know who I am and what I was and what I stood for. So I went on a deep journey. Obviously, everything was fine. She's eight years old now. <laughs> and here we are. But it made me think about who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? And how do I want her to know me? Right? I'm going to be her first example. So obviously, got rid of very toxic relationships. We got out of that. And so here we are. And it was very much a, I don't want to say come to Jesus moment, but yes, you know, looking at my whole life and it was almost the death of the old me. Right. And when I gave birth to her, it was a rebirth. And I think that that happens when we become moms, right? There's this whole new person that we become because it's no longer just about us, especially when it's your first, you know, when you have your first child. There's all these new things that happen and you're like, you know, you get to a year and you're like, yes, we survived. Like I kept this human alive. They ate, they're nourished. And so, yeah, so this is, you know, where I'm at now. And when I was going through that and I really felt like I had almost like more purpose, right? To show her what was possible to say, no, just because you become a mom doesn't mean you can't continue living your life and have, you know, fun experiences but rather I wanted to show her that she could do it all. She could be a business owner, a CEO, successful attorney and have a family. And, you know, I was just mentioning go to cheer competitions for an entire weekend. And so she can do it all. And it's funny because we always talk about this idea of balance, right? And I don't know that it's, there ever really is a balance, but it's picking and choosing and prioritizing, okay, this moment in my life or this quarter, we're focusing on family or the next quarter, you know, it's business and, and alternating and they kind of take their, their turn on that scale of life. Oh, I think that is so <laughs> profoundly accurate. 
And I think so many people, it is hard for them to accept how things really do ebb and flow in this life. And it's truly, I mean, as somebody who has, you know, gone for longer with this journey, you know, had six kids blended, four biological, two step, you know, (laughs) into the world. I mean, I can tell you with a hundred percent certainty, there were times that I could barely see above my responsibilities towards our family. I mean, I was literally literally trying to keep teenage boys alive, you know, fighting them the whole way, you know, as they're doing one stupid thing after another, after another, after another. And I'm like, guys, work with me here. But we just stay alive. Like, what even, you know, just the boys and the girls, the idea. And I feel like it is in boys DNA, you know, and I don't, I hate to classify or stereotype, but My stepson gives me so much anxiety. He wants to do flips, climb, jump. So when he came into my world, right, he was about four. I was like, I'm used to like this girl. She's dainty, very girly, wants to just dance and is fine. You know, she doesn't want to climb trees. And so for me, I was like, how do I keep this child alive? That is not biologically mine, but now we're caretaking. And so it's a whole other conversation in Beast, but they're very, you know, just children in general, they're always so different. There's, you know, maybe they have similarities, but when you're trying to navigate personalities, it can be a wild ride. It is absolutely. Well, and I was talking with somebody the other day and they were commenting, we were talking about parent-teacher conferences and they were having to go to parent-teacher conferences and they were mentioning, but they're at the same school. And I chuckled and I was like, well, that's kind of convenient. I'm like, mine were always at all different schools. And we had one year where we had six meetings with six different places. And it was literally from your freshman year in college down to elementary school. Mm-hmm. And it was such a joke that week because I was like, I would show up and I'm like, wait a minute, which kid goes to this school? Like, who am I talking about now? But I made a comment. I'm like, your kids are so different. It's very rare, I find, where you can just pick the neighborhood school and be like, oh, well, this fits all their needs. I mean, maybe mine were unique, but that did not work in our home. No, and we have two. So we're in two separate school districts, you know, with spring break coming up. One is on spring break this week and the other is on spring break next week. And so it's interesting, but also, right, my stepson's school has like great programs for him because he needs a little bit more support, whereas my daughter is in a bilingual school. And so she's learning you know, she's it's in Spanish all day long with like an hour of English and my stepson speaks no Spanish. <laughs> and so it's just, and, but it fit, they each school, right? It fits their personalities so well and is supporting them in the best way possible. Nice um, for us trying to coordinate schedules, but <laughs> <laughs> hopefully it works out in the long run. <laughs> exactly. Well, you kind of have to just hope that, you know, you do your best. You try to know your kids as good as possible and pick the educational environment that works best for them. I mean, I found that every year I had to really look and figure out, like, were we on the right track with each child? And, you know, what was that trajectory? And did we need to rethink it? And I mean, you know, it was a process. I mean, there was calendaring, like at least oh, so many. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, and we're looking at so my, you know, one is second grade and one is third grade. So they're only, a few, you know, a few months apart, but different grades. So we're thinking so my stepson is in an amazing school district. We're not so much because we have a, you know, we want the bilingual parts of it, but she's come, you know, she's in second. 
but fifth grade it's done. Then she has to go to middle school. And so I'm already thinking ahead. Well, do we move somewhere where my stepson, you know, into his school district because they have great middle schools and great public schools, or do we stay here? Do we look at private school for her for middle school? Because especially because girls can be so catty and just, I mean, I already see it in second grade and I'm, you know, I'm like, if it wasn't for the Spanish, we probably would switch schools already just because, you know, it's, hormones and you know I my you know my partner is just like I don't even want to be around you when Jackie hits puberty and I have to deal with two of you during the all of that and it's it it should it's going to be fun and interesting it will definitely be fun and interesting yes I think that is a great way to (laughs) it. it's an adventure for sure Well, let's talk a little bit about your book. I mean, A Queen Bee in Charge, The Guide to Creating a Legacy. One, how did you decide to write a book? That's a big deal. (laughs) So it's funny. So, I mean, so my story, and actually I'm sitting here because I I have one, right, that I take notes with. So this is what it looked like. And I was going to originally start out, I was going to do an estate planning book for women, right? And what I realized, though, was nobody really wants to just talk about estate planning and dying. And for me, when I first started my practice, I was like, I want to do more than just create legal documents. Like, that just feels so boring. I want people to really think about how they're living. And then, you know, my experience, you know, giving birth to my daughter and just going through that. I also was in a very, like, abusive relationship. So I we separated after she was about a year and a half. And just kind of my own development. And I would talk to other moms and they're like, please tell me more about what you're doing. And, you know, I just kind of got on my soapbox and I was like, your life is not over because you became a mom when they leave and go off to college. Like, you're going to want to know who you are. And that was something even that I struggled with as I was moving into motherhood, because I was like, well, I went to school. I got good grades. I did everything I was supposed to. I'm a success, you know, through everyone else's eyes but I wasn't happy. And obviously like it showed in my personal relationships, it showed in my friendships and lack of boundaries and all of these things that happen, especially as women, right. Where we are, you know, and being, you know, Latina and Brown, you know, a Brown woman in a space where it's a white male dominated field with estate planning, you know, I, it was just one of those things. And, and again, you know, kind of paving the path. And so as I was going through my own developments, you know, I had my journals and all of that and speaking with women and they were like, you need to talk about this more. And so my estate planning book that I had planned to write for years then became more of a let's create your legacy and what that means. And then once we have that defined and outlined, we can protect it all with the proper legal documents. So for me, I do a very holistic approach to estate planning. And so This book is essentially like a seven week course. The first six weeks are all about you. And so within the the book itself, there's pages to kind of take notes and do exercises. But we start off with like, who are you? Right. If, If you were to die today, what would people say about you? What would they say at your obituary? What would be your, you know, all of these things? What would your tombstone say? Or what would, you know, what would that conversation be like if you weren't in the room? And so really defining who you are, your core values, and then moving into, okay, what are longer term goals? Right. So, and, and really asking yourself before, who were you before the world said, told you who you were? Right. So before we became, we had these titles of partner, wife, mom college student, like who are you at your core? So a lot of that is like the deep dive. 
And then we go into financial goals. Where do you want to be? How much money do you want to have? Let's look at 90 days, a year, 10 years. When you die, where do you want to be? And I do have them do an obituary exercise where you look at today. If you die tomorrow, what would people say about you? Not necessarily what you would want them to say about you, right? But like the reality of like who you are and how you feel like you're showing up in the world. And then reflect on your goals and what you would want people to say. So almost like your ideal obituary and looking at what needs to be done before the end of your life or your time on earth. And so we do all of that. And then part of it is actually completing like information, gathering information, like who are important people in your life and what's significant to you and what kind of assets do you have? And then at the end, we go over estate planning. And so week seven is how can you protect your assets? How can you protect your legacy? Pass on traditions, right? And so as moms, we want to make sure our kids are well taken care of, especially if they're minors. And so making sure that the right people are taking care of them. And then even with some of you know the clients that I, we have like a guardian, a letter to the guardians where it's like, these are my main accomplishments. This is what I, you know, like I'm pr- most proud of and I want my kids to know about me. And so combining all of it to create a legacy plan for clients. And so this is basically the book is essentially a stepping stone to go deeper into that. That's amazing. I love the idea of a guardian letter, like to really help people know, because I know as a mom, when my kids were younger, that always bothered me. I was like, there's so many things I need to tell these children. You know? And I was like, what if I die on this trip? Like I wouldn't have told them. So I've started these journals. I have four journals for my four biological children that I write in pretty regularly and just tell them things. And like, sometimes it's my way of, you know, how when your kid is kind of doing something a little off the rails, but it's not the exact right moment to talk to them about that. Well, I can talk to them in their journals. (laughs) And I'm like, well, here we are, you know, this is happening in your life right now. It's this date. This is what I want to tell you. But I I know this isn't the right time for me to tell you now, but, you know, they'll be able to read it later. And I think it'll be interesting for them to see some of those things and understand like what I saw in them too, like all those positive things that you're seeing in your kids and you forget to tell them because you're caught up in all that day to day Mm -hmm. stuff. And I have found writing the journal makes me tell them because when I go to write it in the journal, then I'm like, oh, I should tell them this right now. Like I should just send them a note or pick up the phone and call them and tell them how proud I am of them. And so it's been kind of an interesting exercise. And your guardian letter reminds me kind of of that. Yeah, I have a journal, too, actually, for my daughter. And I started it when she was little when I was kind of just going through things with her dad and part of it was just because I didn't ever want her to feel like what I was feeling, but also like letting her know like certain life things that happen. And obviously, right. Like when I want to be a friend and cheerleader, but maybe being mom and parent at the time. Right. But I can make notes where I'm like this time, I know it probably feels like mommy wasn't very supportive of you or I was like nitpicking or critiquing, but just know that I'm super proud or, you know, and you can kind of just put all of those emotions in and still have that, you know, firm (laughs) parenting moment as well. Yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic, I find, as a parent, watching them and, and helping them stay in their bumpers, you know, doing your parenting job, 
all the while wanting to be like their greatest cheerleader of like, yay, I love that you're taking this initiative or I love that you're trying this new thing. But also, you know, you got to be a little cautious, but not too cautious. You know what I mean? There's- well, we, I, my daughter, right. And I mentioned, you know, how girls, you know, in second grade, she has a friend who like best friends, but also they have their moments and they're, they're eight, but she had a moment where she was like, well, I told Ava that I didn't want to be her friend because she wasn't being nice. And, and then, you know, and then she said something that was, and I was like, well, I'm really proud of you for standing up and, you know, saying that, you know, you know, your worth and you deserve to be treated better and that that's not how friends really are, but also right. Take into consideration of how we can maybe say things. So they're not so blunt or harsh and, you know, but also not sugarcoating it too much because I want you to stand in your truth, but also we don't want to intentionally hurt people's feelings. We don't want to be malicious in sharing our truth. <laughs> it is a fascinating dynamic. I mean, I think learning those skills, it's a constant battle. Constant. Mm-hmm. I was like, I still struggle. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's kind of a joke. I mean, it's a joke, I guess, and maybe just in my world, in our office, where every so often people on my leadership team, they're like, oh, Elise, you probably shouldn't be the one to say that, you know, because you sometimes accidentally scare people. And I'm like, what? How do I scare people? I'm like, I'm so comfortable, you know, and they're like, well, you're kind of just blunt. Like, you'll just say something. And I'm like, I'm like, really, I have to add in all these things, you know, just to say this one thing and they're like qualifiers. Yes. And so I get the same, I get, you know, and I wonder too, right, where we are trying to balance like this feminine and masculine energy, right? Because as attorneys growing firms and businesses, we do have to step up into these very like masculine roles in that we're doing business. We're here to get things done. And also remembering, right, that at home we can be more in our like nurturing, caretaking. And, you know, and I had a friend actually once remind me that I didn't get to where I am because I was like sweet and caring and kind, right? I was very determined. I had a goal and I was very focused. And if we're not meeting certain deadlines and requirements and KPIs and all of these like data, you know, statistics, then we're not going to get to where we need to be. And as the, the the leader, I it is my job to actually lead them. And it's very similar to mothering and parenting, right? Because we have to lead. And I tell my daughter, because we're very open about death <laughs> in our household, because I feel like I've done so much work about around it. And I tell her, I said, mommy's job is not just to be your friend, but it's to guide you and prepare you for when I am not here. So there are some things that may feel hard and you don't want to do them without me, but know that you're going to feel so good. And mommy knows, and it makes mommy feel good that if something happens to me tomorrow and you have to do it by yourself forever, that I know that you're going to do it. And mommy did a good job. And so we approach things in that way. And so finding the balance of the nurturing, but also showing them how to lead. Absolutely. The Zapathon is back. If you're new around here, the Zapathon is the OG automation workshop. At this next exclusive guild event, we're partnering up with Maximum Lawyer's good friend, Kelsey Bratcher, to bring you a day and a half automation workshop. The idea of automation is simple, right? Identify a repeatable pattern of tasks and then use technology so that business process can happen without you. But setting up that technology can be daunting, time consuming, and even have a steep learning curve. Join us in person and you'll create automations on site that will start working for you 
before you even leave Austin. Join the guild today and grab your ticket at maxlawevents.com. Well, and I think you make a good point too when you talk about leading and dealing with those things. A lot of times there is no right time to say all these things in this nurturing time. Like sometimes you just have to like move the train along, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. we got to do what we got to do to move forward. And I find if we were to wait for the right time for everything or wait for the right moment, that's perfect. And everyone's feeling perfect. So we can say will never happen. We'll never get anything accomplished. And I mean, I would think in your world, I mean, especially when you're talking about creating a legacy, people can't wait for the right time. Like you got to move on things. Well, it's funny. Like, oh, I'm going to think about it. And I'm like, you're going to think about it until you get hit by a car, you pass away and then it's too late because it's like, oh, better late than never. And I'm like, well, it's sometimes it's just never. There's no better late because, (laughs) because you don't even get there. Right. And it's so cliche, but we really aren't guaranteed the next second. Right. The next moment. Like I could have a heart attack right here while while we were doing this, you know, having this conversation and there's just no guarantee and people are like, oh, it'll never happen, but I'm sure it happened, right? People don't go to sleep thinking they won't wake up in the morning and people, it happens every single day. And so Um, it's, you know, the idea of waiting, we're going to wait until we find the right guardians or the right trustees, or we're going to wait until we have more wealth and assets, yet you're, you're still subject to probate court, right? There's this waiting and waiting and this idea of, we have to get it right and we have to get it perfect in motherhood, right? In business, in life. And I live by the phrase of perfectly imperfect, right? So it's like, it's perfect as it is and it's perfect for right now. And if we want to make changes, we can, right? But right now it's or, or good enough, right? Everything is always good enough and we can always make improvements and we can add and we can change things. And same thing with our life. Okay, Say I'm not happy because I still have, you know, 30 pounds of baby weight because, you know, eight years later, right? But you know what? It's good enough for now. I can still run a 5K. I can lift weights. I'm healthy. I can play with my daughter. And if I want to get better, I want to drop 30 pounds, then I can start exercising more. I can incorporate more weights. I can eat more vegetables, whatever it is. And, you know, and it's, you can make little baby steps towards more progress, but doing something now that if you were to die tomorrow, you would be happy and know that like you did the best that you could. Absolutely. I think accepting that idea of good enough Mm -hmm. is kind of game changing. And Mm -hmm. because I think perfection sometimes creates real paralysis Mm -hmm. people. And it's like, sometimes we got to just roll things out and They are not perfect and they are, and we know even, I mean, at our firm, we actually rolled out something that was a pretty big deal to us. We called them the minimum standards of care, but it was literally just that, the minimum. I'm like, this is our just bottom line. Like, this Mm -hmm. is what we do, but very vocal about, we will be updating these. They will be getting more intense and more robust, but I'm like, we got to start somewhere. Like, this is where we're starting. This is where we're going. Are they perfect? Oh, definitely not. But, you know, sometimes just moving something along. And I think with estate planning, legacy planning, I think you're in such a practice area where that helping people understand that good enough is 
massive mm-hmm. in the estate planning world. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because sometimes clients come in and especially parents with minors, right? They're like, well, I don't know their personality. Do I want it to do a distribution over a certain number of years and what age? And I'm like, look, if you died tomorrow, would you be okay? And they're like, well, I won't be here, but I know that they're taking So that's all that matters. You know, yeah. in five years, if you're still around and you're realizing that one of your kids has a crazy spending habit and likes to just blow their money on things, then we can reevaluate and we can update the plan as long as you have something in place and you have a starting point, right? It's that it's just, yeah, I, and I love the minimum standard, right? Because it really is. And that can be in anything in life. Like I think about, we just got a new car and I bought getting a new car for so long because one, one, I didn't want a car payment, but two, it was because I was like the car that I wanted was $150,000. I have two dogs and two eight-year-olds and that car is not practical for my family. And so we ended up getting this gorgeous Volvo, right? Xena, it's a beautiful car. And I had to have a moment where I was like, it's okay. It doesn't mean anything that I'm not getting, you know, this Jaguar that is fully loaded and that I adore with like very light interior. I'm getting a black interior car where you can hardly see the dirt and it's going to get us everywhere. It has enough space. It does an amazing job. And this is good enough for right now. And it doesn't mean anything more or less about me because I don't have the $150,000 dream car that I may get when I retire if I decide to even get it then, right? And so it's that great reminder, the, the good enough and having minimum standards. I need a car that I'm comfortable in that gets me from point A to B and my family's comfortable and it supports us in a practical way and is within my budget. And so here we are. <laughs> And it's a great vehicle and this is good enough for now. And if I want to, you know, wait till the kids are 18 and then look for, you know, get that car. Or if in three years I change my mind, I say, hey, we're going to sell this car and get a new one. You get to do that. You get to change your mind and do whatever it is. And just making sure that you're in a good place um, every day. Oh, I love the idea, though, of being able to change your mind. That is powerful, especially I find in parenting, because there were times as a young, young parent where if I did something with my oldest, I almost felt compelled to do the same thing with the next one, even though I had learned better. It's like, wait a minute. I'm like, okay, you actually have the ability to learn and make improvements, you know? So when my children, sometimes I'll hear them, even now, you know, as adults, they'll be like, well, you did this with this older one. And I'm like, lucky for you, I was on a good steep learning curve. And (laughs) you got the benefit of that. It might not look like benefit in the, you know, when you're dealing with it, but being able to change your mind and change course. Wow. Is that a powerful, powerful, I mean, life altering lesson. Mm-hmm. You think of what you did when you had your daughter. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine the self-improvement you went through. Yeah. Well, and, and so much of that, right. So there's, you know, on that note, the two things that came up for me is, is first when the kids were young, right. They're both four. So it's, you know, like I said, twins, right. You get two of everything. That's just how it is. And for so long, we're like, okay, same, 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 same. And now that we're eight years old and, you know, one is playing baseball and one is on a cheer team competitively, it's like, no, no, we're not doing same, same because that's going to just make all of us broke. And it's going to end up with tons of wasted things in space. And no, we're not doing same, same anymore. (laughs) That just is not working out. And we can change our mind. I remember having this, it probably was this last summer 
where they're like, well, same, same, right? No. And I said, we're stopping the same, same thing. Just because somebody gets one thing doesn't mean that you also like, and teaching intentionality and what that looks like for each of them on an individual basis, right? Because no, they're not twins. Yes, they're the same age, but they're very different individuals. And the other part is catching myself when I would say no, right? Like I, sometimes I'm like, no, you can't, no, you can't. And, and sometimes it's because I'm just, I'm working or I'm doing something and I'm not paying attention to what the question even is. Or my daughter will say, oh, can I go outside and play? And I'm like, no, not right now. Or I had to pause myself and say, well, why am I actually saying no? Is it a control you know, thing? Is it because it's just natural in the way that I learned, you know, or that, you know, you can't do things a certain way. Like when I was little, I couldn't go to sleepovers. I couldn't do certain things. And I find sometimes that like what I've learned from my parents, I will say to my daughter, and then I'm like, wait a minute, let's reevaluate why we are even doing these things because it doesn't really make sense. It didn't make sense to me then. And actually me saying no to it now doesn't make sense. And so sometimes I'll pause and I have to realize that it doesn't mean that I'm like getting suckered or I'm giving in, right? It means that, and I'll explain it to her. So she doesn't think like, well, if I'm just super persistent, mommy will change her mind and say yes. It's that, you know, I thought about it and I know that I was saying no, but it really doesn't make sense to me anymore to continue saying no. And this is why. So yes, you can actually do it. And so being okay with even being in the moment and changing our minds when we are parenting. (laughs) Well, it is a fascinating exercise, I would say, to raise children, you know, to adulthood who are extremely free thinking, because I found sometimes, you know, I would say something and they would start to question the logic. And there were times that I was like, okay, I would love to have this whole full-blown conversation. (laughs) Like right now, I really can't. And right now I actually need you to go do the thing and we're going to have to put a pin in this and then we could have this. And I'm like, you know, if we need to reevaluate what what has just happened, like if I've asked you to do something and it turns out it was, in fact, logically unfair or in some way, you know, really mm-hmm. troubling. I'm like, we can address that when we stick our pin in it. <laughs> and it was interesting because there were definite times where they would call me out on illogical things. And I actually found it really helpful because mm-hmm. you So much of the time, I think you've absorbed some of those illogical, almost like your mind just goes from thing to thing a little illogically. And until somebody breaks that synapse jump, you know, you're like, oh, that's actually a really good question. I don't know why I do that. And it has been powerfully humbling. That why question, right? Because if I ever asked my parents why it was you are being so disrespectful. But now that I understand, it really is just pure curiosity. Like, well, I want to understand um, versus the questioning of like, well, and sometimes it is, right? Well, why can't I go to my friend's house? Well, it's a school night and it's already 8 p.m. and your bedtime is in 30 minutes. So, you know, so there are some parts of that why. But then there are other times, well, it's, well, why does, you know, why do you do certain things? And at eight, you know, it is very easily for me to be, you know, get into very, get defensive, <laughs> And say so you're being disrespectful, stop questioning my authority, but also remembering, we you know, she's curious. She's only lived eight years of life. She's not, you know, in her, you know, almost to the forties and it's my job to actually explain so that I'm guiding her in the right way. So just, you know, cause you know, if I was like, well, why to my parents, it would be like, what? <laughs> well, <laughs> <You're> it's, <grounded. laughs> 
Exactly. And I was this exceedingly democratic parent. Like I really thought it was very important for me to be able to explain why I was doing something, thought something like for me to shut them all down felt very controlling to me. Like, and I was messing up their ability to be independent thinkers. Now that all being said, that created some very difficult conversations from about, you know, 13 to 19. I mean, like those were some tough years of my kids really drilling down and questioning a lot of things. But I also, though, look at them now and I'm like, wow, y'all are some thinkers. Uh I'm like, there's some positive stuff that comes out of creating real thinkers who can dig under things and not just accept what's being Mm -hmm. told to them as you know, some type of gospel just because I'm older. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, what do I know just because I'm older, you know? (laughs) Well, and sometimes, right, we just take on things that we were taught from, like, for generations. And we're like, people have been doing this, yes, maybe for hundreds of years. But at some point, we really have to evaluate the reasoning and the logic behind it. And, you know, if we don't do it now with our kids, it'll just kind of continue on. Well, and I am really seeing this. I mean, this is, I mean, we could probably go off on a whole thing. I'd have to get like a bottle of wine and chat about it. But I mean, I am seeing this big time in the world of, I mean, the patriarchy, racism, like all these things that have been like really just absorbed. And I mean, I've been reading the book, The White Women, Everything You Already Know About Your Own Racism and How to Do Better. And wow, has that not been so powerful in having me question all these things? I'm like, well, yeah, why do we do that? And why is that? And then I'm literally having to pick up the phone and call my kids now. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, there was some serious problems in your rearing. I was like, first, y'all all need to read this book. And then we're going to have to have a family Zoom because we got to undo stuff. And new book club. Yeah. But it's that same, you almost just like internalize things. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It can happen for generations. Yeah. And being intentional is really, it sounds goofy, but I mean, powerful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think, and part of, you know, even with my book, right. And some of the coaching that I do is that we get so set into autopilot and we can just, we go to school and then we go and get a job and then we, you know, maybe get married and buy a house or there's these like steps that we all thought we were supposed to take. And at the end of the day, right. People are, you know, baby boomers are getting (laughs) divorced at like massive, you know, high rates and they're miserable. And they're like, well, we just stayed together for the kids. And it was, you know, all of the truths come out and it's like, you know, my parents probably would have been better off separating when I was little and we would have done 10 times better and they would have been happier for a lot longer. But it's just we get into autopilot and we're, we think that we're supposed to do things a certain way. And so we just do it until somebody is brave enough to question it or to get out of it and to change their mind. Even with women in finances, right? I think we met in Rachel's group and it's, you know, women taking control of their money. Like what? And I remember When I was in law school, I worked for a nonprofit called the Pro Bono Project of Silicon Valley, and women would come in, they decided to quit their jobs, they would be stay-at-home moms, great, fabulous, I love that for you, 
But then when their husbands decided that they were done, they would freeze bank accounts. The women would have no money. They were just like, I don't even know what bills we pay. I don't know how much money he makes. And when, you know, we had to do the, you know, income and expense forms, they're like, I don't know. Like I, they have no idea about finances and managing their money. That is just, and that just gets passed down. Right. Or women are like, I just don't want to deal with it. You know, my mom always, you know, never had to deal with it. She was like more domestic caretaking. And, you know, my dad always dealt with finances and it passes on until you get to a point. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know <laughs> where my money is going, where it's coming from, because, and part of it is, you know, I came from a family where my mom relied on my dad for finances and, she stayed in a very crappy relationship for that because of that. And I, you know, and I went to the extreme for a while where I was like, I'm never depending on a man. Like, I'm just not going to do it right now. I've kind of settled back down and we're like, oh, we can do this collaboratively and it's, and it works well and it's a safe space. But it's one of those things where my grandmother, right? Also my great grandmother's very similar. Like we look back and the house actually that my mother is living in now, right? She came, ended up coming from like, a string of single women and they just had crappy relationships. And my great grandmother and my grandmother purchased their house as two single moms together, like in the, I want to say in the sixties, maybe late fifties. And it's just fascinating. And I'm an anthropology major. So I love, you know, sociology, anthropology, all of that fun stuff, just studying different people and behaviors. And so looking back, I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. This makes so much sense. You literally have gone, like it's been passed down for four plus generations. And I'm like, nope, we're breaking that cycle now. And my daughter will not be following in all of our paths. And yeah, but it's so fascinating. All of it. <laughs> is. It really is. Well, I just, I love the work you're doing. I just think it is an amazing thing. Tell us, I mean, for our listener standpoint, can can you work with people around the country or do you work with people just in your state? Like, what does that look like? Uh, so I am barred in California. So anybody in California from, you know, San Diego, past Sacramento, I don't even know what the furthest is, almost to Oregon, right at that border. But anywhere in California, I can do estate planning. In terms of like the coaching and like legacy planning, I can work with people anywhere. And then I have a network of amazing women attorneys throughout the country that can then help them do the legal documents. So we partnered up and basically they would come and do like the holistic legacy planning, getting stuff in place. And then I refer them out to other attorneys in other states to actually prepare the legal documents so that it's awesome. It's all set up there. So yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, that is what I really wanted to know to make sure our listeners knew that they can work with you mm -hmm. in that legacy planning piece, because I think those conversations and digging deep in those areas, so many moms, especially young moms, that is a yes. huge, huge area of need. Because I, like you, when I see somebody who wakes up one day and realizes they hate their life, it just saddens me to no end. I'm like, oh, no. But it's so beautiful when they realize they can do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. And you see that quote unquote glow up or that, you know, transformation, yep. the butterfly finally like coming oh. out of the cocoon. Like it is, it is amazing transformation, but yes. And it's one of those things, right? Like yin and yang, light and dark and finding, appreciating more of the light when you've been in the dark for so long and Ever. it's beautiful. Yeah. And I actually, so 
in terms of like working with clients, I actually have clients internationally as well that we do planning. And I'm working on one of the, I actually have a book that is brewing where we are going, because of the anthropologists in me in cultural aspects, right? Because estate planning is more than just your stuff and your finances, but traditions and your culture and things that get passed on. And for example, I was geeking out and reading something on Muslim estate planning and the number of people who don't actually include some of their religious beliefs in their estate plan because they haven't found an attorney that is actually open to exploring and adding in some of those concepts. And so my goal is to kind of spread the word to other estate planning attorneys on how you can be more culturally open to people's religious beliefs, you know, traditions and and incorporate them into their estate plan. Um, And it doesn't have to be just legal. And so I do have clients internationally where I'm like, hey, you have a legacy too. We may not be able to do your estate plan, but these are the things you want to know. These are the things that the information you have to gather, some of the deeper work we have to do. And once you have all of that, then we can connect you with someone either within the state or find you someone, you know, out of the country that can, that is within your jurisdiction. So the goal is to get even more international, right? National and and just really spread awareness on how estate planning is so much more than just legal documents. Oh, I just love that. I think it's so powerful. And to me, when people just think of estate planning for death, I'm like, oh no, estate planning is so about your current life right now and your utter peace of mind. Like just, you know, to me, there's a lot to be said for just knowing What's going to happen if something happens? I mean, I had a friend who unfortunately just, you know, random plane crash last year, just, mm-hmm. you know, lost the whole the whole family. And everybody was just like, uh, you know, and there was this one daughter left that wasn't on the plane. And it's like, we know nothing. You know, we have nothing. We know nothing. And it is, um, yeah, super. I mean, I also, just, just on that topic, it's also... You know, we're in like kind of this sandwich generation where we're raising kids and we have aging parents and our parents, you know, think talking about death and money are so taboo still, right? They're still trying to come into that. And so, you know, our generation, we just need to step up and be like, look, we need to have this hard conversation. I know that it makes you really, really uncomfortable. However, if something happens to you, we're all screwed. Like, like we know it's going to be a mess. And, you know, one thing I do want to say too is, I had this conversation with someone and I forget why, but it was like, how do you want to be remembered? And I have clients who come in and they're like, well, I decided to get my estate plan for, you know, one of two reasons. One is my parents had a trust or my grandmother had a trust and it was the best thing. It made things so easy. We were organized. They knew what to do. Or the other end is, oh my gosh, my grandmother did not have a trust and we had to go through probate. My aunts and uncles don't talk to each other anymore. And when you sit there and you ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered? Do I want to be remembered as the grandmother who was amazing, had everything organized, ready to go, and nobody had to fight over anything? Or do you want to be remembered as the grandmother who left everything in a disarray and was a mess and was a nightmare, you know, and now the family doesn't talk. So you decide <laughs> which, grandma you are you? which grandma do you want to be? <laughs> I love that. I cannot thank you enough for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Now, how can our guests reach you? What is the best way for them to reach out to you? So I am all over social media, email. But if you were to Google Carmen Rosas, attorney, California, I'm the only one. That's <laughs> fabulous. 
And then on Instagram and Facebook, it's just I am Carmen Rosas and you'll find me and my firm. The website is yourlegacyprotectionfirm.com. And yeah, and so you can just, you know, just Google me. <laughs> and you can always reach out to me and yeah. I can email <laughs> intro and make sure and you- if you have any questions. Yeah, if anyone has questions, reach out to us. We love being able to connect with other people, you know, people in other areas if they need it. I'm such a huge advocate of getting this information out there. And yeah. so if you have any questions, no question is a stupid question. And we can connect you with someone in your area if we need to. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope you have a wonderful day and good luck with the rest of cheer competition. This Thank season. you. <laughs> so Thank fun. You so much. This is amazing. Thanks, Carmen. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.